HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about the food policy issues that impact all of us. I'm your host, Kim Kessler, with the Resnick Program for Food Law and Policy at UCLA School of Law. And we're broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on Heritage Radio Network. I am honored today to have joining me Dr. Melanie Samuels. She is the founder and executive director of Bedsty Campaign Against Hunger. She's here in the studio for the first time I, I heard from her. Um, and I'm really pleased because I first came to know Dr. Samuels when I was working as a food policy coordinator in the mayor's office of New York City and saw firsthand her organization's tremendous work during that time. She founded the organization in 1998, and it has since grown significantly in its reach and vision. In some months, it serves upwards of 30,000 people through its pantry, known as the Super Pantry because it is set up in the format of a supermarket. It's also launched three major urban agriculture projects and was a critical response, critical part of the emergency food response after Hurricane Sandy. I've uh, watched Dr. Samuel's work with great admiration, and Melanie, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Kim. Thank you for having me, and I am really excited. Of course, this is my first time here, and the view is great. We get to look at lots of delicious pizza eating while we record the show, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. It is an amazing view. Um, so I actually want to start with uh, where you were a year ago. Uh, about a year ago at this time, there was a flurry of news stories because there was a cut that had just happened in SNAP benefits, and that was due to the lapsing of stimulus funds that had been applied to the SNAP program, which is otherwise known as the food stamp program. And at that time, there was coverage in the New York Times and a number of papers about what that was going to mean for food pantries and emergency food suppliers here in New York City. And I recall one story in particular that focused on bedside campaign against hunger and the worry about running out of food on the shelves. So here we are a year later. What have you seen uh, be the, the long-term impact of that reduction in benefits? So let, let us go back um, 2013, November 1st. 
I can remember it so clearly. It was like just before November 1st, there was a great panic, not just among bedside campaign against hunger, but the other emergency feeding program. What we knew was that there would be a drastic cut. To some, it was not a drastic cut, but to us, it is because of the impact it made. And so I remember going to work on that day, and the line had wrapped around the block, which was quite unusual. It's it's usually a long line, but this time I was looking at um, a very long line. It had doubled in 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 in, um, in size. And what was happening was that, of course, we thought we were prepared. We had food on the shelf, but we were completely wiped out. I remember calling a few of our distributors, uh, our members, um, friends, and saying, listen, we have been cleaned out. We need help. And it was that bad. And have things stabilized now a year later? And what has that taken for you to do? Well, um, it has not. Whereas we are in 2014, we are in the month of November, it is almost Thanksgiving. And what is happening now is the line is yet longer. And you're wondering what would have made the difference. Last year, 2013, we served 21,000 individuals during that month alone. That was a record, record number for us. But then when we looked at what we're doing now, we are excelling over 30,000. And so one have to wonder what happened. Um, there was not an additional snap cut. Um, Sandy didn't take place. Um, we can't think what happened. But what it is, I believe strongly, is that families are in need. This time of the year is a time, a state of panic in households because there's not enough to eat. Why do you think that is particularly visible at this time? It's usually visible in Thanksgiving because um, we ha- we're in a country that celebrate this time of year. And the only way to celebrate this kind of, this type of year, this type of holiday is food. It is the one thing that when you think of Thanksgiving, you don't think of gifts under a tree. You don't think of anything else, but where am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? What are the children going to eat? And so it, it, is, it is in the front of every family, every head of household, every single mother, every senior. Every person makes this a priority. And when you don't have the income to meet the desire, the first thing is where SNAP is not bearing up, one is going to look for other additional ways of putting food on the table. And that's usually the emergency feeding program like Bedside Campaign Against Hunger. So you have now become this major institution in your neighborhood and really an anchor institution that, as you're saying, thousands of people are relying on every month. But take us back to the founding of the organization and how you got started with this. Okay, so here I am. I'm busy, I'm working, and I'm doing well. My husband and I, family, we're planning on retiring into um, Florida. That was on the forefront of my agenda. I received a call, and it said that there was a lady. Um, she had um, she was restricted because of a bone disease. She had small children, four children, two boys, two girls, and she was in need. I spoke to her. When I spoke to her, um, she needed food. And so I packed bags from my pantry. So I started in my pantry. I packed a bag, 
drove, my husband and I did. We got there, we took care of that. We found that, of course, the news went. And so we found that there were about, um, we found ourselves doing five families. And then um, I jumped in and asked the parents of the, the PTA from my son's school, listen, could you help me when you go to ShopRite um, during this holiday season coming up? Can When you get an extra turkey, can you give that to me so I can make a few more bags? And so what started out with one family, now we're over 300,000 individual every year that is looking forward to meals from us. And how do you think, when you say you got a call, how did that happen? And what do you, do you think there was something about you that made people be able to come to you and ask for you for this help? Well, um, I want to think it's the God in me, if you don't mind me saying that. I, I think um, someone heard uh, that called me and told me, Did you, uh, you know, the strangest thing happened. Here you have a woman um, that is in need. And I said, where? When you care about your neighbors, it doesn't matter who it is or what you're doing. You just care. You care enough to want to do something. And I felt that within me and who I am, I'm an, of course, I'm a pastor at heart, but just who I am and loving my neighbors would want me to do something about that. So, of course, I did something and I'm still doing something. Yeah. And how, so talk about that transition. So you were working away, you're a busy parent and working mother, and you start down this path that you know now is this whole different career actually of being an executive director but how did you when you first asked those other parents at the PTA to help out you know where did you think it was going and how did when did you actually take the step to say I'm going to dedicate myself to this well you know when I did that I thought first it would be um, usually just for the holidays you know just help out for the holiday Thanksgiving and then I found that Easter came around Christmas came around and did that and then Easter and then um, I found that I was using more of my resources I had no plan one to start an organization it was the furthest thing from my mind I had no plan to head up an organization I didn't want to I didn't need to I just wanted to help and then um, I just found that there was a need a need in bed um, did a survey the need was greater and I'm saying oh my god what should I do here and just, 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 just loving individuals, I started working. And I said to two people, I said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you to start, you know, just to get food into the hands of families. And that's how we started. Not the right way, but we just started just getting any food into the hands of families. And then I heard about a grant, and I wrote the first grant for them. And I said, okay, this is what. But no one wanted to take the lead. And I could not just walk away. It would have hurt me more to walk away. So then the toughest part now is to go back. When I realized what was happening, I said, you know what? I care so much. I I get such a fulfillment in helping others. I said to myself, well, I'm going to go to my manager, my general manager, and tell him that I'm thinking of leaving my job. Huh. That man laughed. <laughs> he said, you must be kidding. You're going to leave all this money on the table to go help families? I said, yeah, I will get a satisfied. I feel that I would be satisfied with it to do this. And my family agreed that I should, and I did. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. And so uh, now today with getting to know, I guess, many of the clients that you serve, what can you tell us about uh, the, the people who are relying on your pantry well the first thing you want to know is that they are just like anyone else same 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 
They might be struggling in a lot of areas, but they're kind, friendly people. I think of a young lady that I think she's very, very, very special. Uh, a mother of four. She has um, a bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, she's been on the line. And we have been able to communicate with her. To um, She works in the night. She, she does medical assistance. And we have been able to communicate with her to become a volunteer. Now this same mother, we have worked with her in such a way that she's now our community chef. Um, she, her children um, are some of our green teens that are working in the garden. We have taught them composting, beekeeping, and just maintaining the garden, the same family. And what, we've, what other things we've done, her smaller children have entered into our Healthy Bloomers program, which gives them a chance to understand nutrition, to eat healthy. So one mother... A lot of investment. We have been able, the way Bedside Campaign Against Hunger is designed, we are able to, um, our wraparound services able to meet needs of families. So one mother, and I can give you a host. Um, I look at a young lady, um, Tiffany, um, started off the line. Tiffany started working with us, at, um, volunteering with us, became a green, green teen. Um, green teen meaning that she took the lead role in in, uh, in the garden, in the farm. She took the lead role as the beekeeper. She took the lead role in composting. And after being with us for about four years, Tiffany's now in college, and um, she has um, just changed her major based on what she has been, been taught, uh, what she learned from us. She has changed her major. And so we are excited to see what she, you know, what, what, where she's going. She's moving into something that's more around environmental science. Yes, she's going to be an environmental lawyer. Wow. Yes, so that's where she's moving into. That's great. Um, so what do you think that those programs that you've done have meant for your community or talk, the, the programs that you've done that um, do create job opportunities or funded summer positions for youth? How have you folded that into the work that you're doing? Um. I think it's it's a great work in the sense that here we have the schools are empowered by the garden. We have Eagle Academy, Moth Hall 4, and we have right now we have between Queens and Brooklyn, we have about eight schools that are participating in our ecosystem, uh, ecosystem. So what we're having what we're having right now is that um, we're having schools that are um, coming in for after school programs. Not only after-school programs, but we have summer programs for younger children. And then we have the internship programs where the green teens, which are usually high school students and college students, that will work within, our, within the, the farm. And also, they, as they work within the farm, they become leaders in such a way that they'll teach others. And so that's where that is. So I want to take a short break and then come back and hear more about your programs. You are listening to Something Good by Renee Lopez.
Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back. So, Melanie, you one of the signature initiatives of Bedside Campaign Against Hunger is that your pantry is set up in the format as a supermarket, as I mentioned earlier. Why was that important for you? Well, um, in 2006, like I started out, as you know, with a prepacked batch, uh, package uh, to clients. And starting out that way, what we did was that I thought I was really doing a good job. I really tried hard. I used every dollar and I bought something. And I bought something and I put it in a bag. And in 2006, we found out that what we were actually doing was not... We were adding to poor health. I saw families take from the bags different things and they were bartering on the street. Then they were leaving cans on the street. And my first response was I was calling other, you know, like the larger um, food banks and I was saying to them, this is what's happening. And they said, that's not possible. That don't make sense. And I said, this is what's happening. I did a, 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 a just an informal survey, and I found out what we were doing was not helping. We were actually contributing to poor health. And when speaking to others, I found 23% of those that we serve were diabetic. A larger number was suffering from hypertension, and obesity was a problem in our community. That's when I decided that we would launch the first supermarket-style pantry in bed That's why I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to give choices. I wanted to make sure individuals had the ability to, to be served with dignity. And that was important to us. Our community approach to caring was to make sure every family had a choice. The only way we could do this was to open the store in such a way that you walked in and you could say, I need, this is what I eat, this is what I didn't eat. And so that started at just a trickle-down effect to many other pantries. We started a movement right there and then. We were not the first, but we started a movement in such a way that we begin to teach other pantries how to do Give family choices, a healthy approach to eating. It's not because you're poor or not because you're, you're, you, you, you come on hard times. It doesn't mean that you should eat any and anything or you should be treated any and anyhow. And so this made it, um, I became very, very wholehearted. I became wholeheartedly about the whole thing. I wanted to make sure that the children that came in were eating right. I wanted to make sure that our seniors, and then we started a whole host of nutrition classes. And what I've been to your pantry, so I know what it looks like, but for listeners, describe how the focus on health 
is demonstrated in what you see on the shelves? Okay, so what we have is what we call the MyPlate system. You walk in, and because it is said we want to make sure half your plate is, is fresh fruits and vegetables, so the first thing you'll see when you're walking is an array of fresh fruits and vegetables. These fresh fruits and vegetables, um, eight years ago, would be new to a lot of clients. With three years of nutrition classes, clients, um, our, our, our customers are very familiar with what we're serving. So the MyPlate system is um, half a plate of fresh fruits and vegetable, a quarter grain, and a quarter um, protein. Now, when you walk in, you have at high, le- le- high, high, high level, you see a lot of grain, whole wheat, whole grain, first thing. All that is stocked in our pantry is no salt, low salt. Milk is um, low fat or 1% most. Um, low in sugar, lean meat. Those are the commodities that we really offer to our clients. And when we say lean meat, we mean really lean, nice meat, um, whether it's fish, whether it's chicken, turkey. Well, it's Thanksgiving. But we, we really pride ourselves to make sure what you would see in our pantries, what you would see in a, in a supermarket. And how do you do that? I know that it can be challenging for pantries and emergency food providers to have source that sort of healthy food and that sometimes what's being donated isn't always the healthiest. So how do you manage your supply chain and, and what do you do with things that don't fit your mission in terms of health? Okay, one of the things is that we, we, we are careful how we shop. We are very careful how we shop. We make sure every dollar counts. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we reject things that we believe will not be appropriate for what we're serving or for the model that we are trying to bring to our community. So if someone is generous and wants to give us something, even though it's food, there are times when we'll have to say we can't take that because it is not going to um, fit within the, the, the parameters of what we're, we're doing. And how is that received? Um, I think now, years ago, if you had asked me this question, I'll tell you I have a lot of people that are angry with us. But now p- individuals understand. You have to remember, Kim, that the neighborhood we serve, our neighborhood, over 30,000 individuals that are in need we're seeing poverty you've heard about bed you've heard how beautiful it is it is beautiful it's a beautiful place but there are pockets deep pockets of poverty in bed and there are there's a lot of health health crisis we're in a crisis in, in 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 our neighborhood and it is for us now um to stand take a stand and we have to and we have to we we appreciate our donors and we're always looking for donations um we strive off donations but what is important too is to make sure that whatever we're doing it is um, where families can really enjoy and still stay healthy. So you've been a real leader and advocate for pushing these health concepts. And um, you've also been a major advocate in the policy sphere. And I remember during the Farm Bill discussions last year that you were very front and center talking about the importance of maintaining SNAP. What are the things now on the policy horizon for you? What are the things that you would see that would make the biggest difference for your clients in terms of policy? I think... um, Nutrition is still, we're still not where we need to be in getting the, the, it across the board to let everyone know how important nutrition is. And I think we are still behind, really behind. And right now, if we can champion together, get our voices together, and make sure that not just our clients know good nutrition, but also those that um, make policies understand that 
what what is good for one is good for all and so in the in the farm bill it's important you know like WIC is important that we maintain that we want to make sure the senior programs where food is concerned nutrition is concerned we want to make sure that that is also maintained but also um, the 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 idea of cutting is what I'm having problems with because we're still not addressing unemployment where families can work and, aff- and afford food as they would like to. SNAP is already cut. So there should not be a continuous cutting in certain things like um, in the Farm Bill. We still have to stand. There's a lot of work left to be done. I remember talking to one of your uh, staff members at one point who was sharing with me a story about a family that wasn't eligible for federal benefits and yet was still struggling and how challenging that can be. Is that something that you uh, see a lot of in your uh, in your client base? Yes. Um, and you know what it is? Just that margin that makes the difference between am I eligible or not. And sometimes it takes just a few dollars to kick someone out of the pro- program. But yet that same family has to pay, um, that family has to pay over fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars a month for rent. Um, you're looking at families that still have to put food on their table, take care of their families and their children, and they're finding it difficult. We're finding more and more families are in that position where they're not on SNAP and they're coming to the pantry. So that's one of our largest increase right now. It's families that are not on SNAP but need to have um, a safety net. So a huge part of running a food pantry is actually managing logistics and making sure that you're able to manage your supply chain, have things on the shelf, deal with all the people that are showing up. How did you? How have you balanced meeting those near-term needs with also your strategic vision for your program and growing your program elements? Well, um, it's been it's been a challenge overall. Um, we have, as you've seen. Um, Lately, we have been growing at a rapid rate, and getting food on the table, uh, on the shelf, has been a challenge. Like this month, for instance, we served, the first week in the month, we served over 8,000 individuals. That's a lot. We're averaging now 2,000 individuals per day each time the pantry opens. We are um, restocking our shelves every two hours. So logistically, we can hardly put food on the table, on on the shelves. We are finding it difficult to make sure that there is enough. So right now, what we're doing is that we are reaching out across, we're reaching out just about to any and anyone in the sense of corporation, foundations, um, the Food Bank of New York City, City Harvest, these individuals, we're reaching out just to let them know what is happening with us and how best they can help us. And um, it's been, to be honest, it has been an everyday challenge. Are you ever scared that you can't, won't be able to keep it going? I mean, with serving this number of people, are there ever moments you think, I just don't know how I'm going to keep it going? I have, I have gotten up early in the morning, really early, like 4 o'clock, and I lie in bed, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of the week? I look at the resources that is in the account. I look at the needs that we, we, we have been meeting, and I look at just the overall picture of Bedstein campaign against hunger. And as much as it, it's a, it brings vital services to those that need it the most, there are times when I, I, I just feel like I would just stop right where I am. But then there's a part of me that can't stop yet. Um, 
it is a sad thing that when you have a program this vital, this robust, doing such a great work, um, myself as an executive director I have to be thinking, where is the resources coming from? Um, who can I call next? What can I say next? Because sometimes it's sad to say, but individuals are not touched often by hunger. Um, they don't know that their neighbors can be hungry. Um, they don't see hunger as something that they should concentrate on. Our nutrition is important, and if we don't do, if we have poor nutrition, then we have the health crisis. Um, so it, it it really troubles me a lot. And uh, my staff knows sometimes. Sometimes I don't say anything, but it becomes difficult when um, my my um, program program director would come in and say to me. Listen, we ran out of food. Or by now, and two, two, two days from now, if, you don't, if we don't get food in here, we're going to have to turn everyone away. And then I start making calls and start sending emails and hoping that someone would understand what I'm saying. And so it is a ver- very difficult for me, personally. Um, personally, I'm heartbroken, teary-eyed sometimes. I'll tell you this quick story. There was a time a few years ago that I thought we were going to close. It was just that bad, and I turned my face to the wall. I'm being honest, and I prayed. I said, God, you've got to help me. I can't turn these families away. You've got to send somebody to help me. And I'll tell you, God answered my prayer. <laughs> and that and that is what drives you. This, yes, yes. This, and this need to keep the service going is what motivates you yes each day. yes yes it's, it and one of my greatest motivation is the little children after three the pantry is full of little children um children coming in after school saying mom can i have this kind of cornflakes or can i have one of that and they don't know they're in a pantry because of how we have arranged everything fam Children feel like they went to the supermarket. I've heard individuals on the phone, and obviously somebody asks them, where are you? And they said, I'm at the supermarket. And so, yes, we are trying our best to make sure families are comfortable, and especially during this holiday season when the need is even greater, we are doing our best, the best that we can. So we're almost out of time, but I want you to share a little bit about your farms and the teens that are engaged there and what's going on actually right now, I guess. what what is Is this a time of... Um, of letting the, I know you have a hoop house, you know, what's going on right now actually in your urban ag sites? Well, so um, we have literally four farms. The largest is in Queens, Far Rockaway, which we recently got. And um, then we have Saratoga right here in Bed-Stuy. And so what, what it is is that we were able to do a hoop house, a very large one, which will make us a four-season farm. That hoop house will give us the opportunity to um, grow seedlings for the growing season that is coming, but also to make sure we have a few things growing that we can continue with our farmer's market. We have two vibrant farmer's market that started this year, and they're all teen-run. We have about 15 teens, um, green teens, that have been working on the farm, that have been learning. When when they came in, they were not, in no way, understood anything about growing, what, what grows, what did not grow. Now they're leading. They come in and they're able to um, take, take care of the, the farm on, on its own. They're able to do quite a few things 
by themselves. They do have, of course, farm managers and they do sit in classes and they do get teaching. Um, there's teaching component to everything we do. But right now we're getting ready to do cover crops and they're doing it. They're the master composter. They're making all the soil that we need. And so the teens are very, very active and they're also getting a stipend, which is also helpful. And we are hoping to expand that next year. And all our teens, I must say, go straight to college. Everyone, we have all our teens who are um, from high school go straight to college. So we're excited about that. What, before we wrap up, what, what would you say you wish most Americans understood about hunger in this country? I would say that their neighbors could be hungry, that the person on the train could be hungry, and that um, hungry, hunger might not be the sexy thing like everybody wants. It's not the arts, I agree. But it is essential that we now, as a country, such as America, take care of our families. I was born and raised in Jamaica, and I never dreamt when I jumped on the plane that I would come to a country that I heard was such a great place I would ever see hunger. And I've seen it up front, and it's a very frightening thing to for a mother to come and say, why do I have to walk away? Why can't I have a turkey? Why can't I have a chicken? Why can't I? What am I going to give my kids? When a mother walks in from a shelter and says, I need help, what can you help me with? Or they just got enrolled for SNAP, but it's still not enough. So these are the things we want America to understand that hunger is not just in a faraway land it's right here at our doors and we are our biggest advocate we all need to jump in and do something everyone can make a difference and where can people learn more about bedsty campaign against hunger they can go to our website which is www.bedstyagainsthunger.org or biscanyc.org Great. That's Dr. Melanie Samuels, the founder and executive director of Bedside Campaign Against Hunger. Thank you for joining me here today. And that will bring us to a close of Eating Matters on the Heritage Radio Network. The show is available for download at iTunes and Stitcher, where you can also leave comments. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'm Kim Kessler signing off. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.